Hey everybody, I'm Dr. Andy Rourke and this week on the Uncharted Veterinary Podcast, we have a topic that a lot of people are going to be interested in. What do you do when you're terribly short-handed and you can't hire staff? That's what we're talking about. I, I'm sure it's going to resonate, unfortunately, with a lot of people out there. So uh, this is going to be a useful episode. Before we jump into it, I just want to give you guys a quick reminder. Stephanie Goss and I are running our strategic planning online course in about two weeks. We're starting up the first of the year. Um, I do the first session. We do core values. We talk about mission planning. We talk about uh, coming up with a long-term strategy, determining what your competitive advantage over the the clinics in your area is, just getting your head straight about what you want to be when you and your clinic grow up where you want to go. This is great for people that want to build personal brands. They're looking at their own career. Um, it's just, it's pure long-term planning and visualizing and coming up with good, clear ideas of what you want to become and where you want to end up. The second week, I'm doing uh, assessing employees with Stephanie. We talked through that. Are you assessing your employees? Are you looking at their strengths and weaknesses? Do you know what their strengths and weaknesses are? Do you have the right people on the bus? Are they in the right seats on the bus? Do we need to be moving them around? Do we need to be training them? How do we do that? That's the second week. The third week, Stephanie Goss takes over and runs the practice financials. Do you have a budget? Are you using it to make plans for where you're going in your practice? Do you feel like you're in control of your money? Or do you feel like the practice is kind of uh, flying around and you're just sort of making it by the seat of your pants? And the last week, we come back together. We talk about setting priorities, figuring out action steps, figuring out where you want to go and what you want to do first and how you can get this implemented. Every week we have small discussion groups. We have a couple of discussion groups. We try to put practices together with other practices that are like them. And Stephanie and I lead those discussions and we talk through everything and talk through applying what we did in lecture to your specific practice. That's really important. We take questions. We're obviously in the Uncharted community. So we have an Uncharted group and there's discussion throughout the week there. You can get questions answered whenever you want. It is really an immersive month-long experience and it really helps you get your feet underneath you and get your practice going where you want it to go in 2020. All you got to do is sign up for Uncharted. Uh, that You don't have to come to a conference. Just sign up to be an Uncharted online member. Head over to UnchartedVet.com. Get signed up and we'll reach out to you. you get some information. Just say, hey, really want to be an Andy and Stephanie strategic planning course. We got a couple spots left that we can put new members into. And other than that, I'm going to pull the gates pretty soon and just fill it out with our uh, with our existing members who want to take the course. So anyway, grab it fast while seats last. And I would love to see you in Uncharted online. And with that... Let's get into this episode. And now, the Uncharted Podcast. And we are back. (laughs) It's me and Stephanie, somebody that I used to know, Goss. Oh my God. <laughs> How's it going, Andy? It's good. It's good. If this podcast is half as good as our conversation before it, it's going to be our best podcast. <laughs> this might very well be better than the Jackhammer story episode. <laughs> the Jackhammer story episode is our top, <sighs> most popular episode that we have ever done. Oh, it, my that goodness. is, I was blown away. It came out of nowhere and passed the Sarah Boston emotional blackmail episode and is the number one. So um, 
when clients complain about prices from uh, just about six or seven episodes back, mm-hmm. that is the number one most popular podcast that we've ever done. It also contains the jackhammer story, which <laughs> which may be. Well, I don't know if anyone actually listens to the episode. They may just go and listen to the first five minutes, which is the jackhammer story. <laughs> and just be done. Or they listen to the jackhammer story again and again. Oh my God, I can't. And this, it probably has nothing to do with the fact that everybody sits in the clinic dealing with clients who complain about prices. It's all about the jackhammer story. Oh yeah, I was, um, you know, so we put out social media posts with the podcast, you mm-hmm. know, um, with the podcast. And Kelsey Beth Carpenter makes those for us and they are amazing. They always have these great pictures and stuff. And I saw the one for like when clients complain about prices. And I, oh, Facebook, oh, Facebook. And so this lady posts a comment underneath and it's like, or a comment said, it cost $120 to remove a foxtail from my dog's nose. What's not to complain about? <laughs> and I just, I saw it and the feeling drained out of my face. You know what I mean? Like, you know, when your face just kind of falls, I'm like, you couldn't talk to a plumber for $120. Right. You couldn't get an electrician to drive to your house. I don't care where you live. You couldn't get an electrician to drive out to your house for $120. You couldn't talk to a lawyer for 20 minutes right. for $120. But right. someone saved your dog's life by pulling a foxtail out of its nose and you're on social media going, what's not to complain about? <laughs> and I just, yeah, I just put my head on the desk. I was done. My, te- oh, my technician was there, Jasmine. She was like, Dr. Rook, are you ready for your next appointment? And she's oh, I see that you're collecting yourself. I'll come back. <laughs> just, I, had, I had to reboot the system. Not the computer, the system in my brain. <laughs> oh dear Lord, I want to meet. <laughs> I want to meet the technicians that work with you. <laughs> oh God, I have the be- I have the best technicians. I have the best. More uh, Morgan. Uh, so my technicians yesterday, Jasmine and Morgan. I I love them both so much. I am. Um, I I think I I have. I always have great technicians. Uh, we have a ton of great technicians, but um, but Jasmine and Morgan are. Uh, I worked with them yesterday. They have just, I, I've known them for probably about two years now. They, they both sort of came to work with us and I just, I love them. Morgan was the tech that did the uh, zombie Skittle challenge with okay. me. Okay. And, uh, yeah. So I think brave, I, them. Brave woman. I don't know what I would ever do if they left <laughs> or if all the technicians left and I suddenly found myself terribly short staffed. Stephanie, do you have thoughts on a scenario like that? Oh man. Yeah, I, I do because I think as a manager, right. I think it's everybody's worst nightmare. Um, Let's pause for a second and appreciate the segue that I just laid down. That's, (laughs) that's why I'm in the big boy chair because I can guide a segment like that. (laughs) 
you know, have you seen have you seen the meme of uh the highway with the big highway sign and the car like steering <laughs> off to the off ramp? That <laughs> yes, totally it. That's, that's how I, I that's how I run a podcast. That's how I feel about you because I was like, oh, he's going this way, and then nope, we're going this Boom, way. We're getting off at the podcast <laughs> episode. Oh my god, our poor listeners. <laughs> Um, yeah, mm-hmm. I, I do actually, in fact, uh, think about that. Think about, uh, not having staff. I think all managers worry about that, but we actually had, um, an interesting conversation. Um, it was brought up by one of our uncharted community members and, and it's something that, um, it's something that I have been struggling with in the clinic as well. And, and this post really resonated with me because um, the person was asking about not what do you do when you lose staff, um, although that certainly was a component of this, but what do you do when you are shorthanded and you can't find qualified staff, whether right. it's licensed technicians or even um, veterinary assistants with, with experience um, that are that are not licensed. And uh, so the questions that were being asked is when you when you get to the point where you can't find qualified hires, how do you continue to run the business? Do you, um, you know, give up and cut corners and forsake some of your standards or do you cut back on your services or hours or other things or both? And the backstory to this was it's a, a high functioning clinic that practices high quality medicine um, they do have two team members who are going to be leaving because of life circumstances. Someone is relocating and someone's going to have a baby, right? So those are things that happen mm-hmm. in all of our practices on a regular basis. And this manager was just like, we're, you know, we're down in team members already. We have been trying to hire on an ongoing basis. And yet we're at this point now where when these people leave, we don't have enough team members to staff our doctor schedule and what do we what do we do and it resonated with me because I have I have been facing this I have faced this challenge just in this last year in the in the my practice as well and my heart immediately went out to her because this is a really really hard space to be in Um, but I think it's a really important one for us to talk about because I think it's a reality that more and more practices are going to face certainly from the licensed technician perspective. Um, but I think also from the qualified veterinary assistant perspective. Yeah, I agree. I, I like, I like this example because it could happen to any of us. Mm-hmm. This is a good practice that we were talking about and they are doing good medicine mm-hmm. and they are, uh, they are a good boss and leader, you know, mm-hmm. like they are an uncharted uh, member and they are, they are one of our finest. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they are wonderful. The fact that they're, uh, you know, a small, a smallish practice, they've got, um, they've got a couple of, a couple of vets. They're open seven days a week. And then that they have these two technicians that are leaving for no fault of their own. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, going to vet school, going to an internship, going on maternity. Like that's, those are wonderful things that we should mm-hmm. celebrate. Mm-hmm. But the reality doesn't change that, Hey, we're running a tight, we've got a tight team here and we just lost two of our, of our technicians. 
I, I think that that's enough to keep managers and, and uh, practice owners and veterinarians who are thinking about their right hand technicians. That's enough to keep us up at night. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it happens a lot. And you're right. It's part of it is the economy. Part of it is the licensure structure of getting technicians, things like that. Um, it is you can't just grab a great person off the street right now. Yeah, it, yeah, totally. It's it's hard. I mean, I I have been. <laughs> I think I think we all are looking for licensed technicians at all times. I don't. I actually don't know any manager friends that don't basically just constantly have an LVT ad running or RVT or CVT ad running because they are hard to come by. And in certain areas of the country, it's even harder to come by. Um, And so I think that um, I think that it is a struggle for assistance as well. And I, I have some thoughts there on, on why and how we, um, how we can kind of maybe look at tackling that. But um, I think, I think for me, when I started to kind of think about this, I started where we always kind of start, which is how do you get in the right headspace to kind Mm -hmm. of tackle this? Um, And I think it's important to talk about that before we dive into the, the how to's. Um, But I think for me, the first thought that I had in terms of headspace was um, you can't, you can't see all the pets, right? Like you can't, can't be all things to all people. And um, we've talked about that previously on the podcast. Like at some point you hit a point where you cannot see one more pet. You just can't. Yeah. Yeah. So let, let me lay this down. Cause this, this is a, a topic that I'm pretty passionate about. Um, the reality of the world is that with a certain number of people, you can do a finite, limited amount of work in a day. Mm-hmm. And so if you have one doctor and two technicians, there is a set amount of work that they can do in one day, working 40 hours a week for the technicians. And let's just say 40 hours a week for the doctor. They are full-time employees. You don't want to pay them overtime. They are going to see appointments for 40 hours a week. And there's the three of them. That is not an infinite number. Yeah. And at some point, it does not matter how efficient they are. It does not matter how clearly they communicate. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter how good and healthy the food that they eat is. It doesn't matter how much sleep they get or what their exercise routine is. Like, you know, you cannot dial it in anymore. At some point, there is a concrete ceiling they slam into. Mm-hmm. And that's called burnout. Mm-hmm. You know, that's called that's called burnout. Mm-hmm. Um, that is real. And we like to pretend that it's not. We like to pretend that if we just work harder, then we can get this done. Mm-hmm. And the mantra in vet medicine a lot of times is just make it happen. Just figure it out. Just get it done. Mm -hmm. And I want to tell you, there are days when we just get it done and we just figure it out or Mm -hmm. we just suck it up. Yeah. But sucking it up is not a business strategy and it is not sustainable. It is not a lifestyle. Yeah. Okay. You can't see all the pets. 
you cannot see every pet out there that needs help. You are one person and your team is 12 people or 15 people or 22 people. But that is all that you are when you think about all the pets in the world. At some point, you have a finite amount of work that you can do. Mm -hmm. And I want to club people over the head with that truth as much as I can because rejecting that or uh, pretending it's not true, I think is the path to a lot of a lot of pain in mm-hmm. vet medicine. And so accept that right now. You cannot, you are not infinitely scalable. You cannot just say, well, we now have 12 people instead of 15. How do we do the workload of 15 people? Plus the growth that's happening in our practice. The answer is you don't, mm-hmm. you don't do that. Yeah. It's, it's, you just, it's not going to happen. Yeah. And I'm not trying to take the easy way out. I, I, I work ethic is one of my core values. I love to work. I like chaos a lot. I have a much higher tolerance for it than other people, which means that I get to watch other people around me burn out mm-hmm. and be miserable because they have a lower threshold than I do. And that's not, that's not strength. That's just wiring, you know? So anyway, you can't see, so headspace, you can't see all the pets. Mm-hmm. Let's just accept that and say that something's got to give. There's two ways that you can let this happen. You can drive as hard as you can until the engine catches fire mm-hmm. and you roll to a stop because you have, you have burned it all down People go home crying. Your best people quit Mm -hmm. because they don't need this type of drama and they can work at the bank and make it more money and not be miserable. Or you can look down the road, see this wall that is not moving Mm -hmm. and make adjustments to change your course to drive right around it, Mm -hmm. you know, and that is just being honest about where you're going and your human limitations. So mm-hmm. I think you got to get your head there first. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I totally agree. I have, I have some some thoughts. I want to kind of put a pin in that and circle back to it because okay. I have some thoughts about like strategically as a manager, how would I approach this problem? Um, but yep. that that relate directly to that because I agree a hundred percent with with what you're with what you're where you're going and what you're saying there. But yeah, before let's, we let's definitely come he, back and. And talk about how how that change course how that course change looks. Yeah, totally. But we'll get into that for sure. What else? What else do we need to do to get into the right headspace to tackle this challenge? Because it's a big one. Okay, so um, mantras in the mind of the manager, owner, leader: mm-hmm. this too shall pass. Mm-hmm. This too shall pass. I know it feels awful. I know it feels like we're never going to hire anyone and it's going, we're going to be overwhelmed all day, every day. Deep breaths. This too shall pass one way or another. It will stop. It will, it will come to an end. Okay. So, so just know that that's true. Number, (laughs) number two for the headspace for the mantra is this is not judgment of you. And as a leader, I tell you, I have struggled with this. This is a thing for me is when I look around and I'm shorthanded, I go, oh man, I have obviously failed. Mm -hmm. If I was a good boss, I would not be shorthanded. I would have people lined up to work for me and to help me. Mm -hmm. And that's just not true. Mm -hmm. 
It's just not the way the world works. People are not waiting with bated breath to drop what they're doing and rush to like, they have other jobs, they have other things, you know, there, there's just not a pool of highly competent, skilled people with nothing going on mm-hmm. waiting for an opportunity to come and work with you that those people don't exist. Yeah. It's not about you being a failure. It's just, it's just what it is. Yeah. I think, I think that's really true. And I think as a, as a manager and as a, as a team leader in practice, it's really, really important to remember that. Cause it can be really hard. I, I, uh, I had a period of time where um, we were we were struggling. We were shorthanded, and um, I had someone come into my office and uh, give me their notice. And they were just like, you know, I, I was I've really been struggling with telling you, but my um, you know partner got a really great job opportunity, and we're going to be relocating. And you know, I'm just I'm just I feel really bad because I know we're kind of shorthanded. And I was like, look, that's something to celebrate, right? Like we should be excited about that. And uh, so we had a conversation, and and they walked out feeling a lot better. And they're like, you know, thank you for for being understanding. And the day, the day kind of went on. And at the end of the day, I had another team member come in and go, Hey, can I talk to you for a second? And I was like, okay. And they sat down and they burst into tears. And I was like, Oh God, (laughs) what what is happening? And she's like, I'm pregnant. And (laughs) I was just like, Oh, I I, I was just so excited. I was like, okay, why are we crying? I said, is this, is this hormones or and she was just like, well, I know we're, sh- I know we're shorthanded and I feel really bad because it's horrible timing. And I, so at the end of the day, we, we had a conversation and I was like, look, this is something to celebrate. We're really excited. Mm-hmm. Um, let's be happy about this. And they walked out and I was like, okay, it's, let's pull the team together. So we had our end of the day huddle and I was like, you guys that I, I just, I need you to hear something really, really loud and clear. Like this is, this is life. Like life happens and people, people move on and, and people go to vet school and people have babies and people's partners get jobs and, and you can choose to, as a, as a leader, you have the choice, you have the choice to be happy for your people and support them and recognize that it's life. And, and what you said is so true that it has nothing to do with you. It's not a judgment of your skills. It's not you're doing a crappy job as a manager. It just is reality. And so you can choose to roll with those punches or you can choose to be overwhelmed by them. And I think often I see a lot of my manager friends struggling with feeling really, really overwhelmed with them. And I think for me, I have really, I have really, um, intentionally focused on when something like that happens, I have the choice and I can choose to go into that. I feel overwhelmed. I feel like this is my fault. I feel like, um, you know, this is a problem that I need to solve as a manager, or I can intentionally choose to put myself in a headspace, which is telling myself, this is life. It is going to happen. And how I respond to it absolutely makes the difference because for my team member who was feeling like they couldn't come in and tell me that their partner had an incredible job opportunity that they couldn't afford to turn down or for the team member who comes into the office and bursts into tears because they're afraid to tell you that they're pregnant because they know that you're shorthanded, but this is something major in their life. 
you have a choice. And I think that that's really important to remember because it can make or break how the team continues to function because the reality is when those changes happen and they're going to because life happens, the team still has to pull together. And if you don't lead that headspace by by re- reminding yourself and using the mantras that you just gave us of this, this too shall pass, this is life, and you got to roll with those punches. And this is not about you. It's not a judgment of you as a leader. It has nothing to do with you. If you don't intentionally choose to go down the road of, of paying attention to those two things for yourself, you will ultimately do more damage to your team than you could imagine, I think. Yeah, I, I agree. The last piece of the headspace is I want to talk about two different types of problem solving. Okay? So there's in-series problem, problem solving and there's big picture problem solving. Okay. I had this, um, this dog in the room and it's got this uh, mass on its back left sort of tarsal joint. So it's got this big mass on the outside of its foot, and, and it's, it's, it's firm. It doesn't feel good. I don't like it. Uh, I did a fine needle ash put on it, so I poke the thing, take a look under the, and it's just not exfoliating, right? So I'm looking on the slide. I'm, I'm not seeing anything, which I really don't like. Mm-hmm. I don't like the fact that I'm poking this thing and not getting anything out of it. Mm-hmm. And so I'm talking to the owner, and she's upset, and she said, I can, can we see if this is spread anywhere? And I said, well, you know, we could take x-rays of his chest and we can look for, um, you know, we could look for signs of, of spread and metastasis and things like that. And she said, I, I really want to do that. Okay. So it's the end of the day and I go out and I, I haven't committed anything, but I say, okay, well, let me, let me see what we can do. So I go out and my technician comes out and she says, well, the x-ray machine is shut down. So we have to warm it back up and that's going to take some time. So it's going to take mm-hmm. some time, and it's the end of the day. And then who is on uh, to stay late tonight? Well, it's Madison. Well, Madison doesn't have a radiation badge, and mm-hmm. so Madison can't do this. But, uh, well, who's here who has a radiation badge? Well, Nikki does. Well, yeah, but Nikki's got to get her kid from her in-law's house. Well, maybe Nikki's husband could go and get her kid. What you're seeing right here is is in-series problem solving. Mm-hmm. The x-ray machine is turned off. We have to turn it back on. Madison, who's scheduled to stay late? It's Madison. Madison doesn't have a badge. We need somebody else besides Madison. We need Nikki. Mm-hmm. Well, Nikki has his other commitment. Well, let's solve that commitment, right? Mm-hmm. And a lot of people work through that series, mm-hmm. right? That's in-series problem solving, okay? Big picture problem solving is looking at this, saying it's the end of the day. We're talking about looking at the chest. The dog is not coughing, anything like that. Hey, let's get her back tomorrow mm-hmm. and let's do this then. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then going back in and saying, all right, can you come in in the morning and we'll take these x-rays mm-hmm. and we'll get this done tomorrow. Or we're going to set you up an appointment for x-rays. Mm-hmm. And just acting like that's how it is. Because right. when you go to the your doctor, <laughs> your, your primary care doctor is not like, come <laughs> with me, let's get x-rays. They're right. like... We'll see you in two weeks. Right. <laughs> and we'll take x-rays at that point. That's, that's big picture thinking, okay? And I, this example is important because when people leave, we go, oh, crap. We just lost two people. What do we do? Well, we have to reorganize our workload. Okay. Well, how do we do this? And how do we change the appointment scheduling that we have? Or how do we get these appointments seen? 
all of those decisions are within the construct of we have to move forward linearly, mm-hmm. right? We have to solve this problem within the confines of what we are doing today. Mm-hmm. And my point is to survive this problem, mm-hmm. usually that in-series problem solving is your worst enemy because it walks you down this path mm-hmm. of absurdity. Like, you know, yeah. like in the example that I used, every one of these decisions is making this more complicated. Right. It's inconveniencing more people. It's right. making it more difficult. But we get so myopic on like, this is the problem. The problem is we have to do these x-rays. We don't stop and say, do we have to do these x-rays? Mm-hmm. Do we really do we have to do them right now? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. those are the questions that will save you. It's not how do we see this volume of cases with 20% fewer people? Mm-hmm. It needs to be, we have 20% fewer people. How are we going to be the best that we can be? Right. Yep. And so... You have got to watch out for in-series problem solving because it walks you down a path inside the constraints of what you're already doing. Mm -hmm. And sometimes we have to set all those constraints off to the side. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. So that's the headspace for me. Let's start to build out strategy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think um, for... (laughs) For me, I, I'm I'm so glad you went there because for me as a manager, uh, where my brain immediately went with this was um, you, in order to really problem solve this, I think you have to be willing to take the reins a little bit. And I think for all of us, there's that moment of overwhelm where it's like, Oh God, what am I going to do about this? And I I think you need to let yourself breathe through that space. But when you sit down and you really start to think about how are you going to, how are you going to solve this problem? I, I actually would look at it in two parts. One would be the big picture problem solving. Um, And then I do think that there is a piece of the smaller, more myopic of like, when when you have the three you know when you have three people call out sick on on the same day you have to take the reins and say how am i going to immediately problem solve this but but there's also i think for this problem you have to take this step back and look at the big picture and think about the long game think about what what is it ultimately that we want to do as a practice and when i sat down and i really started thinking about how would i problem solve this a lot of this had to do for me with what is our long game plan how do we how do we try and hire quality people but knowing that there is a shortage the long game of this for me had a lot to do with okay if people are not dropping out of the sky that like you said they're super qualified they're super talented and they're just appearing in our world magically that doesn't happen very often so we can't sit around forever and go why is this happening to us at some point, we have to say, this is happening to us. What are we going to do about it? And right. I think that that's where we, as an industry, tend to fall 
short because my entire experience in veterinary medicine, the idea of not only recruiting people, but what to do with them when you get them in the door, we have, we fall short. We're like, let's just throw you in the deep end and figure out how you swim. Well, the reality is you can throw a lot of people in the deep end and a lot of people are going to swim, but you're also going to have a lot of people that are going to sink. And at some point you run out of bodies to keep throwing in the deep end. And so (laughs) I think we have to figure out what is the long game? How do we as a hospital support green inexperienced talent because mm-hmm. that that the reality is for the majority of us that is what we're working with and yeah. so so for me the big picture has to do with that how do we get people who don't have experience who don't have training but are are talented people how do we support them um so that we can grow from within because i think for most of us, the magical unicorns drop out of the sky once in a blue moon. So yeah. if we sit around and we wait for that to happen, we're going to be uh, understaffed for all of eternity. <laughs> yeah. Right. Well, this is a very American problem. And it's, it's, I think it's a very American problem in two ways. And bear with me when I say that. I think the problem comes from a, an idealistic uh, look at the world. And I think... Uh, it's sort of the American culture is tomorrow is going to be better than today. You know, we're growing, we're getting bigger and that in everything is going to work out and, and next year will be better than this year. And I think that a lot, we see the world that way. And I think that we're raised that way. And I think it makes our country really great in a lot of ways, but the ways that it doesn't make it great is we have ideas about, um, about growth. And if we just hunker down and work, then everything is going to is going to work out and we will get those people and we will we will get the people that we need. And the other thing is we have this idea a lot of I'm going to throw this person in and they're going to pull themselves up by their bootstraps. You know, they're they're going to figure it out because right. they they make it work and that's what what we do. And I think both of those are are sort of cultural ideals that we have. But they're not necessarily the smartest ideals all the time. When you have no indication that that you're going to find blind faith that they'll they'll fall into our our lap, at some point, that's not healthy. Mm-hmm. You know, at some point, you have to say this is where we are. And then your your point about onboarding people as well. Some people will pull themselves up by their bootstraps, but they shouldn't necessarily have to. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Totally, totally. And I think that that's where we where we shoot ourselves in in the foot. And so um, for me, there's a lot about about that in terms of the long term plan and how do we how do we deal with it? But where I probably would start with tackling this problem is is the why. And so, for me, what I would do is say, okay, if if we know we can't see all the pets and we can't be all things to all people, the reality is we, you can't run the clinic without a certain number of bodies. And so what I would do is sit back and say, what is my standard of care? What what do my what does what are what is our culture? What are our values? What can we um where is that line in the sand for us that we say we will not drop below this in terms of 
standard and quality of care. And then what you need to do is sit there and say, how many people do we actually need to make that happen? What does that look like in in our practice? Because that's going to be different in every single practice. And you have to say, what what do we realistically need to make this happen? And really spend some time kind of looking at that. Right. I, I want to put a pin in this for one second and come come back to it quickly. Okay. Let's go ahead and nail down real quick. Um, what are the things that we can do to prevent us from ending up in this situation? We've just said very clearly, it's a lot of times it's out of your control. What can you do to armor yourself to protect? You didn't mean to protect your practice as much as possible. So I, I just want to nail that down before we, before we address how to get out of this hole. What are things that we can do to either um, prevent us from falling in this hole or make it less likely in the future that we're going to end up in this hole? And I, and I think we hit right around it. I just want to really nail it down and make it clear. A good plan for effectively onboarding people so that when you do get them, you can get them up to speed mm -hmm. and make them as efficient as possible, as quickly as possible. Mm -hmm. I think that is a good investment to make. And the time to do that is not when you are frantically trying to onboard someone. Mm -hmm. It is when things are good and you have time and you can work with people who are happily doing those jobs and talk to them about the onboarding process and training and what would have made their lives easier. Mm -hmm. And so pin that down of resources that you can put together now so that you can as quickly as possible, get someone up and being effective. That's something to invest into. The other thing is for me, it's about building pipelines so that you can get people. And I'm not talking about grabbing them off the street right now. I'm talking about building connections with tech schools in your area, consider, consider mentoring tech, uh, technician students, consider taking tech interns. And I know those things are a commitment. And sometimes you go, I, I can't do it. I'm not saying this is a requirement. I'm saying that th some of these things are investments of getting onto their radar, getting into the pipeline, getting uh, to a place where you come into contact with people who might be looking for a job in a year or in two years, being involved with your local tech association, being involved with the, your, uh, the nearby vet school or your alma mater, um, mm -hmm. with student groups like, uh, the VBMA, the vet business management association with, uh, SCAVMA, with the canine club at your mm -hmm. alma mater, you know, at, at what, at the holistic club, whatever your jam is. That's a long game, but playing it can really work out. Mm -hmm. But you have to start it way in advance. And I would also say, don't do this because you want to get something out of it and you're looking for payment for your time working right. with tech students. Do it because it's good for the profession. Do it because you enjoy giving back. But also know that... Um, you t those tend to be fruitful relationships in the long term if you do them for the right reasons. Mm -hmm. So those are sort of my long term things that I want to put a pin in. Being able to get people up and on board, building the long term pipeline where you have a higher chance of encountering someone who would like to work for you. Mm -hmm. Do you get anything else to add to that? 
No, I think those, I think those ones are, are good ones. And, and I agree. And it's hard when you're in it and you're, you're facing down this problem that this manager is, which is like at this certain date, I am now going to be down, you know, 30% of my staff. It's really hard to think about that long game. It's really hard to not get in that in series uh, problem solving and not just want to say, okay, how do I deal with these clients? And I think that it, that is the time where you have to really be intentional, intentional about scheduling yourself some time to sit back and think about what is our long-term plan? What can I do? Because those long-term plans take a lot of uh, creative thinking and creative planning and there's a lot of nuts and bolts to all of that. And if you don't set aside the time to be intentional about it, it won't happen. Yeah. You don't build a bridge because you desperately need to get somewhere. Right. You build a bridge because at some point in the future, this is, you know, we may need this. Mm-hmm. And so that's when, when things are good is the time to sort of build those things. So let's come back and we're going to pull the pin out of what we were just talking about. So let's say that we are in this position mm-hmm. and these people are leaving. We have a high quality of care practice and now we're suddenly down a significant percentage of our technician manpower. Yes. You said start with start with start with why. Yep, so um I think I think for me that is who are we as a practice? What type of medicine are we practicing? And what is our uh, standard of care? And one of the questions that was asked was do we do we cut back? Do we cut corners? Do we maybe not do things the way we would have always done it because we're going to be short staffed? And for me, the answer to that question is no. For me, the, hell no. Yeah, hell right. No. <laughs> for me, for me, the 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 answer is this is who we are. This is what our standard is. So what do we need to make that happen? Yeah. Well, okay. So hold on. I, I want to unpack this a little bit. Um, the question is, we are shorthanded. Do we cut some corners in the medicine that we're doing? It's not, not do bad medicine, right. but maybe just don't do things the way that we've done in the past. Okay. So that, that's sort of the question. The way that I think about this, uh, there's a couple different ways to think about it. Number one is to say, well, I don't think anybody likes the idea of sliding standards. Right. I think that there's maybe things that we can do more efficiently and that's different. You know, right. can we get more efficient? Can we get smarter about how we do things? Right. Yes. Do we practice a lower standard of care? No. I believe that when you build a practice, uh, whether you're an individual doctor or whether you're a practice owner, in my mind, you have what I, I think of as a brand contract, Right. For years, I have led you to believe that you get a certain thing when you deal with me. You know, like this is what it means to be a client of Dr. Andy Rourke. This is what it means to be a client at Cleveland Park Animal Hospital. And if I change that deal on you without communicating that deal that doesn't necessarily feel right to me, you know? Yeah. Um, I, and so, yeah, it, it's, it's kind of an integrity thing for me. I'm, and people would say, but Andy, if we're practicing a totally reasonable standard of care, does that, what, what does that even matter? 
And what I would say is you've spent years establishing in people's minds who you are and what you do. Mm-hmm. And that's their expectation when they come to you. And so if you change what they get and they don't know that, I don't like how that feels. I if It feels to me like I'm not holding up my end of some unspoken agreement that we have. Mm-hmm. And so that's why I so sort of strongly kick back and say, hell no. Does that mean mm-hmm. that we don't change our business model at some point? No, it just means that we're intentional about it and we signal to people kind of where we're going. It's not a response to, I'm super busy today, so your pet's not going to get treated the way they did last time they were here. Yeah, I I agree with that 100%. And, and for me, that's where it's about who are, who are we um, and how do we continue to be who we are and practice within integrity. And so right. for me, that's okay. What, do, what does that look like on a numbers basis? And that's where you go. I go into manager brain thinking and I pull out mm-hmm. the spreadsheet or I pull out the staff schedule and I say, okay, logistically, what is the barest bones that we can that we can, and don't, I'm not talking about looking at your seven day schedule. I am talking about in a day, if I have two doctors on the schedule, what do I need to make that happen? And really get that small. Don't, don't scare yourself by going, how am I going to staff seven days? Cause that's what we're open in a day. What do you need body wise and talent wise and skill wise, what does that jigsaw puzzle look like to practice the kind of medicine that you guys practice as a, as a team and as a practice and then say, okay, so if that's what I need and these are the people that I have, then, then you, then you widen the lens. So you've gotten really, really small and you're deep in the V of the funnel and you're like, okay, if I have one day and two doctors and I need 10 people and that looks different for every clinic, right? Like some clinics that might be, I need five LVTs because we're running two surgery tables and a one doctor practice may say, I need, you know, two assistants and that's it. The re- it's going to be different for everybody, but what does that look like? And then widen it out and say, okay, so this is the team that I have left. These are the schedules that they have. These are the conflicts that they have. I've got someone who can't work past five because they got to get their kid. I got someone who's in school on Thursdays, whatever that looks like for your practice. Now start to look at the reality of what can you do with the people that you have. And when you start to widen out that lens a little by little, you're going to start to figure out what can we realistically as a team do and don't get caught at that stage of really getting nitpicky about, well, this means we can't be open on Saturdays anymore because it's not about Saturdays. It's about how many days can I cover with this many people? How, what, how many hours can I cover in a day with th- this many people? And then this is where you have to zoom all the way out and put on your big picture business strategic thinking hat and say, okay, if this is if this is how many hours I can staff in a week with these this number of people, what is the smartest business decision that I can make here? And this is where you ha- then this is where you let yourself start to look at some of those specifics. But if you start to look at those specifics too soon, you won't 
be able to make the smartest, necessarily the smartest decisions because you'll get caught up in, well, I I guess we're going to have to close on Saturdays. Well, Saturdays may be your most profitable day of the week. And so that may be an idiotic decision to say we're going to close on Saturdays when Wednesday afternoons may be the slowest time of the week where you only need one person to run Wednesday afternoons. So you have to you have to look at what is the reality of the situation with the people that I have and then zoom out and start to look at it. And and that's where you really have to crunch the numbers and look at what day is more profitable. Are there, you know, days where you're having a ten, fifteen thousand dollar day because you're running two surgery tables? Well, it'd be really stupid to from a business perspective to cut that day out. Um, but maybe you have a day that you could run half staffed later in in the week. Um, And so then I would start to look at that and try and figure out, are there places where you can sacrifice your schedule in some way? Because the reality is if you're, if you're a manager who is staffing a seven day a week practice and you've got, um, you know, a certain number of doctors and a certain number of teams at some point in a very short term, your team might be able to pull it together and go full tilt. But like you said, there is absolutely a concrete ceiling. And at some point you're going to slam into that very hard and it's going to hurt a lot. So you have to see how do we look beyond that and say, okay, this is how I'm going to make this problem survivable for this entire team. Because the reality is if you don't, you're going to lose more of your team. Yes. I, I love that so much that you said that. I think that's exactly how you do it. I think that's exactly how you walk through it. The big glaring mental mistake that philosophically I think people make, and I think you're 100% on board with this, is people get short-staffed and they look at their current schedule and say, how do I fill this schedule with the limited number of people I have? And they don't want to change the schedule or they don't think to change the schedule. They don't think to change the way they book appointments in that schedule. It's... This is the schedule that we have. This is how we book appointments and deal with Mm walk-ins. How do I service this schedule and systems that I have built with the limited number of people that I have while maintaining the quality of care that I have promised? And the answer is... You don't. You don't. You don't. Yeah. You know, and people... and, And we can try. And in the short time, the answer is... You pay people overtime, you know, you pay people overtime and, and you work to get through it. Yeah. But if this is not a short term problem, then you can't use that short term solution. In my opinion, Yeah. the answer is not how do we service this schedule with the limited number of people? The answer is who are the people that I have and how do I provide the best schedule given these resources, mm-hmm. right? How do I provide the, the level of care that I need with the people I have? How much work can I do? How many clients can I see? That's the question. Yeah. And I think once you roll over to that, I, I think a lot of times things really fall into people's minds. That's why I started off talking about the in-series problem solving. Because if you do in-series problem solving – you 100% end up in the how do I service the schedule that we have Mm -hmm. as opposed to how do I reset 
our practice given the realities of the manpower that we have? Mm-hmm. How mm-hmm. do we reset it to be to be rewarding, to be um, to be fun to work in, to be not stressful every day of every minute, mm-hmm. to be profitable? Mm-hmm. You can lose people and make it profitable. You, but you do have to get smaller, mm-hmm. you know, like that's exactly it is mm-hmm. you can, you can see less clients and still be profitable when you have fewer people working for you, mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. know, and when you make adjustments, but when you just continue on as if you're running a five vet practice, when in reality you're running a three vet practice, three vets cannot run a five vet practice. Mm-hmm. But three vets can run a three vet practice very effectively. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We just have to really think about how to make that happen. Yeah. I'm really glad that you brought up uh, the the overtime piece because I think that's important to me. And I think when we get caught up in the panic of, oh, God, we're going to be understaffed. And so, um, you know, now I'm worried about being able to see the same number of clients that we always see. And now I'm thinking about my budget, like practice owners. And a lot of practice managers, like that's the first place they go is, oh God, now I'm going to be paying everybody overtime and I can't afford that. But look, the reality is you're going to pay overtime. Do not bitch about it, especially not to your team. Accept it because that is your new reality. And you have two choices. You can pay the overtime and you can keep your people happy and you can bring in lunch for them and you can buy them coffee and you can keep them happy while they work out that short term we're still going full tilt while you're planning the the long-term plan and yep. you can keep them happy or you can make them feel guilty for working overtime. You can bitch at them. You can make them feel like I didn't get a lunch break today. I'm starving. It's five o'clock and I haven't eaten. I haven't been taken care of. I'm underappreciated. I, hmm, maybe I should look at Indeed. Maybe I should see if anybody else in the area is hiring because I don't know how much longer I can take this. Like, don't shoot yourself in the foot. Don't cut off your nose to spite your face. The reality is you're going to pay the overtime. Don't complain about it. In fact, I would go one up and say, plan to take care of your people. Buy them lunch, buy them coffee, do the things. Um, Because the cost for you to lose more people beyond the people that you already know you're losing is significant. Amen. Oh God. Amen. I love that you said that. That is so true and so important. What happens a lot for us as business owners is when we get short staffed and people come in and they say, I'm, I have to go, I'm going to vet school and you go, congratulations. <laughs> like, you know, you do that. What happens is business owners, we are human beings. And a, a lot of us feel a panic. We're like, what are we going to do? And so we right. feel panic. The, the poison of panic as a, for business owners is that it makes you selfish. Panic makes you selfish because you're panicking. So you're like, I have mm-hmm. to save myself. Mm-hmm. And you become self-focused, right? And then this is totally understandable. I'm not trying to criticize anybody. I've been there. I go, oh my God, what am I going to do? And then I look at my staff and go, what do you mean you want overtime? Can't you see that the world is ending? Uh You know, and that is so short-sighted. And that is the path to greater pain and destruction. Uh And so if you're hearing this and you're the practice owner who has complained to your staff about having to pay overtime Uh or has made them feel guilty, 
I see you and I understand and I have been uh, there. I have done that. I have made that mistake. I've done that. Please feel seen and please feel heard. And now realize that that is strategically a bad play. And the alternative of being generous to the people that you have, which feels so counterintuitive. Mm -hmm. It feels like the absolute opposite of what your caveman brain is screaming at you about survival. That is the path you need to go down. Mm -hmm. You know? So that's it. I think this is fantastic. I think we're in a great place. Let me summarize real fast. The best time to deal with being short-staffed is when you're not Mm short-staffed. It's laying the groundwork. It's getting involved in the community. It's thinking about where future hires will come from. It's about building your network. It's about getting your onboarding training protocols ready so that you can bring people in and get them up to speed at the quality you need them to be at quickly. And so that time to do that is when the world is good and times are fat. And so think about that when you get pinched and remember, it's not about you. It happens to everybody. This is not a judgment of you and it will pass when you get pinched. You need to decide if you believe this is a short term problem where we can pay over time and we can shuffle around and we can service our current schedule. Or is this a longer term problem because there does not seem to be help coming in the future? If it is a short term problem, we suck it up and we push. If it is a long term problem, do not get caught into the in-series problem solving. Do not try to figure out how to use the few people you have to service the schedule that you have had in the past. Mm-hmm. Figure out the resource with the resources you have and the quality of care you want to provide, how many clients can you service? And how, how do you recreate your schedule to meet those needs? A hundred percent. And hold on. Why are you laughing at me? You're you're giggling and it's making me nervous. It's 7 a.m., but I'm going to ask you to hold my beer for a second. Okay. All right. I will hold your beer. (laughs) Hold my beer because here we go. Okay. Not only can you not, can you not, like you can't, you can't look at it from that, that perspective of like, how do we keep doing the same schedule? Cause the reality is this, this specific example, this is a long-term problem. They're struggling to find people and it has been ongoing and now it's hit critical mass because they're losing more people to life situations. But the reality is this is an ongoing problem. This is where another huge mistake that I see practices and practice owners make is saying, not only are we going to try and, be all things to to all people take all the pets that come in this is where (laughs) hold my beer you have to close you have to look at taking care of the clients that you already have and so if you cannot take care of the clients that you already have you cannot continue to take on new clients and so this is where from a from a business management perspective um i know a lot of people are not going to want to hear that and they're like but if we stop seeing new clients or we stop taking new patients, the the sky will fall. Well, the reality is if you don't take care of the existing clients that you have who are already giving you their money, they are going to find another vet clinic to go to. And so before you try and get 
more clients in the door, you have to take care of the clients that are in front of you. And so I think that there has to be some sort of strategic long-term process that involves thinking about what is our current client base and how do we serve them with that limited schedule? And I think that that's an often overlooked piece. And I, you know, I can say that and I don't say it lightly because I know that there are practice owners and practice managers out there right now that their heads are freaking out because they're like, how could we consider not taking on new clients? You guys, I'm going through this right now in my practice. We, we made the decision to close to new clients because we, we are in the same position. We don't have the staff. And in our case, it's that we don't have the doctors. But I was like, look, if I'm having to turn away existing clients because I keep putting new clients on the schedule, that is a fundamental hard line for me um, as a, as a business person and as a practice manager. And so I think you have to look at that. Yeah. So according to AHA, the American Animal Hospital Association, um, this is a study from, I think it's 2016, pet owners spend 45% more money at the vet the second year they're going there compared to the first year. They spend 67% more money the third year compared to the first year, okay? Your established clients are worth more, significantly more than new clients because they they know your products and services that you you have built up some trust with them they have a relationship with you that you know they they are clients who have been there experienced what you have and chosen to come back so they've already sort of qualified as clients it is more important to keep your current clients than to get new clients here's <laughs> the other thing okay because people's heads explode and they go into a feeling of panic when we say you may cut a day you may cut a day you may close earlier you may um, not take new clients. People go, that's the end of the world. No, it's not. <laughs> and if you stop seeing appointments on Wednesday afternoons, that does not mean that you can never see appointments on Wednesday afternoons. <laughs> right. Right. That means a year from now, when you've had some hires, you can announce that you are now seeing appointments on Wednesday afternoon because we're so successful because we're growing like crazy and people go, yeah. oh, my bed is so awesome. Right. Uh -huh. And the same thing is when, when you're driving, when the dentist office says we're not accepting new clients, what do you think? Are you like, Oh, they must be failing. No, no. you're like, Wow. I, they're such a good dentist that they're that there's no space for more people. Uh-huh. Like uh -huh. that's it. Well, people, and I mean, this is not the catastrophic public failure that you think it is. In fact, you spin this the right way and you look amazing. Well, and the question I have for you is if you call that dentist office who's like, we're not, we're I, I've heard good things about you, right? So someone has referred me or somebody said, I go there, I really like them. And you call them and they say, I'm, we're, I'm sorry, we're not taking new clients right now. What do you normally do? Oh, I try to talk my way in. Okay. I'm and, like, oh, well, are, and, are you, yeah, look, like, you know, uh, I know, uh, I know people. Uh, and have you seen my Facebook page? I, 
I I don't say that. I don't say that. Stop it. Okay, but you do. You try and find out if there's any wiggle room. And then usually yeah. the next question you ask is, well, do you have a wait list? Can I can I get on? Because I, you know, I might need to go somewhere else because I'm having some tooth pain right now, but I really would like to become a patient. Mm-hmm. And so when you start taking new patients, can you call me? You guys, it's no different in our practices. People will say, okay, well, you know, my pet's been vomiting for the last week, so I really think she needs to be seen. But I've heard really great things about you and about, you know, Dr. Hickey or Dr. Sarah, and I really would like to get on a wait list. Do you have one? You guys, it's an, it is a no-brainer. We have to stop being afraid and stop living in that panic mentality. And I'm so glad, Andy, that you shared those aha statistics because I was just thinking on a gut sense, but that's so – I love yeah. that there's actual numbers and data that support that yeah. because – So this is is your opportunity to hold my beer at 7 (laughs) a.m. Because all of this is true. And so when you're not taking new clients, don't wait for them to say, oh, is there a wait list? No, you say, we are not taking new clients right now. I'm so sorry. Uh, Would you like us to contact you when we open up to new clients? Yes. And then you get their email address or you get their phone number And then when you get that new technician in or you get that new veterinarian in and you expand or, or things just get to the point where you have, cause we're all going to have regular turnover. People move away. You say, Oh, great. Well, you know, we're at a place now where we can take some more clients. Then you can have a very special thing where you contact them and you say, you said that you would like to be contacted when we're taking new clients and we now have limited availability Yes. For new clients, and you build that FOMO, yes, of like, oh, here's a special thing, and this is your time to get in with this vet clinic that is so busy that we often don't take new clients. You can spin this and make it into something really amazing, but don't let those contacts go away. You know, when they want yes. an appointment, and you can't see them. Can we contact you? Uh, would you like us to contact you when we start seeing new clients? And they're going to say yes. Yes. And um, the perfect example of this, and it's a really good one, and it's um, I want to share it with you guys because it takes away that fear factor, I think, is that we have uh, mutual friends from Uncharted, our friends Jen Galvin and Erica Cartwright. They own a practice in a rural area in Arizona, and they've had a hard time, surprise, surprise, finding vets. We all do, right? So they're running their practice. They have been closed to new clients, and you guys they have a new client wait list that is about a year long. Like on average, the people who have been on this list have been on their list for a year. But on a regular basis, they they have a new vet and they've been slowly taking people off that list. And my first thought was, okay, if I waited a year, would I still want to get in? And I that thought went through my head. But when I was talking to Jen and Erica about this, Jen was like, we call people and they're like, yes, when can I come in? Like, or they say, well, we just went in and got the vaccines done because they were due, but can I schedule my exam so I can now be considered a patient so that then when I, they get sick, I can come in. (laughs) And, And so people are willing to wait for what they want. And I think we have to think about it in that perspective. I think borrowing the page from human medicine and human dentistry is so, so smart. I think we have to start to think about more long-term plan things like that. You can do it with new clients. We're doing it also with our surgery schedule. We don't have a lot of space on our surgery schedule. And so we've said, hey, we're booked out three or four months. 
but we'll put you on this cancellation list. And if someone cancels, we'll gladly call you and let you know. And if you're okay with coming in short notice, you know, we're happy to put you on the list. People love it. You know, people at home are listening to this and there are some people out there whose heads are exploding and they're like, this is a this is a thing. And it's too bad that there are no resources for people like this who would love to do the awesomeness that we're talking about. Nowhere for you to learn these things. Nowhere for you to be surrounded by a community of enthusiastic, supportive, creative people who are doing these things. Nowhere for you to get on-demand education on things exactly like this. No conferences coming up where registration has just opened to the public. <laughs> I I can't possibly think about anything. Oh wait, like that <laughs> uncharted veterinary community is where you can go. The April conference, if it hasn't sold out yet, as we're recording this, um, we've got about 50 spots left, but the April conference for Uncharted is the marketing and strategy conference. This is exactly what we talk about. And it is, it's the best conference in the world. It totally is. It's the conference that never stops because you come to the conference and then there's an online community and then workshops are filmed. We have watch parties throughout the year. Stephanie Goss, Hey, you just did uh, the first week of your uh, practice financials intensives course. Yes. It's a five-week course with Stephanie walking through the practice financials. That's going on now. We've got uh, about 20% of our Uncharted members are either actively enrolled or auditing that course. Um, guys, UnchartedVet.com, get signed up. It's amazing. Guys, We are. this is a long episode. Let's wrap this up. Thanks for all your help, Steph. Yeah, this is a this is a good one, and and hopefully those of you guys who who are out there facing this, I know it's hard, and I think the the best piece of advice that I have from my manager brain to yours is, you got to take a step back. You do have to think about how do I deal with the immediate short term challenges, but you have to step back and you have to look at the long game and figure out. How do I find the people? How do I retain them once I've got them? How do I support them? How do I train them? That has to be a part of your process. And the other two pieces that have to be a part of it is that you have to think globally about how do we take care of the clients and the patients that we have because you don't want to sacrifice patient care. You can sacrifice hours. You can sacrifice your patient volume. And you can gain that, that back in the episode. long run. As like you always, said, you guys, can say, hey guys, guess what? We're opening up Wednesday afternoons again. Email. You the can't email address is gain back lost trust if you don't take care of your patients and you can't gain back your team members who leave when they know that you're cutting you corners or you're not supporting them. Be well, be safe. I agree. All right, let's wrap it there. I love it. Have a great week, Andy. You too, Steph. I'll talk to you soon. See you everybody. Bye, guys.